Well, good evening and welcome to New Hope Church. I'm Christian and we're going to prepare to receive our tithes and offerings. So ushers, if you could please prepare for that. You know, it's so amazing what offering is. Because it's more than just a simple act. It's more than just a thing we have to do. You know, it's a real way that we can show our walk with Jesus. It's a real way that we can show our faith. Offering is just that one area we get to look at our lives and see all of our blessings, all of the things that we've gone through and realize that God is the one that's providing for us. And then we get to give back to that. And the amazing part is not only, you know, when we drop the money, it doesn't just go and disappear. It goes and it builds God's kingdom. He goes and he uses it for his works. And he goes and he gets the lost. And he spreads a message of hope. With that being said, if this is your first time at New Hope Church or if you're just visiting, we, uh, we pray that you wouldn't feel obligated to give. But for those of us that call New Hope Church our home, this is where we get fed. This is our opportunity to give unto the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray and I thank you so much for all that you've given. Lord, I pray that you would take this offering, you'd bless it, and you'd bless the heart of the giver. Lord, use this offering to further your kingdom and to reach the lost. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Christian. So proud of you, Christian, because summer camp is coming up, so get some rest. It is summertime, and we do have summer camps coming up, so I know you have some teenagers that might be attending. If not, please consider that because it's such a powerful time in a teenager's life to connect to God, or if they don't know God yet, such a perfect setting for them to grow in their relationship with him. So I want to encourage you, if you use the church app, uh, you can sign, I believe you can sign up through there. I'm not sure. I, I hope we can. I think there's a form on there. Uh, also, on our website, you can go there or at our information center, and then we have our, our camps coming up. Even our elementary school kids' uh, camp is coming up, sports camp. So I'm excited about that because if we can teach our children at an early age to develop their relationship with God, like it sets such a, such a good foundation for them for the rest of their life. And the Bible tells us to raise them up, train them up in the ways of the Lord, in the way that they should go. And as they get older, they're not going to depart from it. We may stray a little bit here and there, but they, they have a foundation that they're not going to depart from. And that's what it means for us, even as adults, to grow in our relationship with God. The spiritual disciplines that we've been talking about in the past couple of weeks and tonight, we're going to continue in our series, Spiritual Disciplines, and we're going to talk about a term uh, that we all know of, but it's hard to practice. It's very, very difficult to put into practice, and it is called solitude. Solitude. Solitude is not an easy thing in our world today, but nor was it easy in the times of Jesus, because solitude has to do not with your surroundings and your environment. Solitude has to do with what's happening on the inside and us taking the initiative to have alone times with God. So if you're using the app, we're going to jump in. Or if you want to take some notes, we're talking about practicing solitude. And to help us as believers who are serious about our relationship with God to reach our full potential, we want to develop spiritual disciplines. Because spiritual disciplines are going to be necessary for us 
to grow in our relationship with God because it doesn't happen automatically. We don't just come to know Jesus and then all of a sudden we're infused and energized with a spirit that automatically grows us in him. No, we have to take initiative. We have to choose to grow in the Lord. And we have to choose to accept his spirit every single day. See, when we said yes to Jesus, our spirit gets saved, but our flesh doesn't. Our flesh is going to decay. It's going to die. It is dying. But our spirit lives on forever, so that's what we want to continue to feed. And so God is going to give us principles to practice when it comes to spiritual disciplines. When we talk about practicing solitude, get the word practice, okay? Because you're not going to get it in one day. It's going to take some practice. It takes time. You have to retrain the brain. We also have to renew our hearts. We also have to rethink our purpose, values. It's like everything about us begins to shift the moment we say yes to Jesus. Because saying yes to Jesus, although he's our savior and we get to go to heaven, he's also our Lord. And in order for him to be our Lord, we need to be his servant. We need to be submissive to him, which is what we talked about last week. And so it kind of ties into this week that we're going to practice solitude. And when you practice solitude, wisdom comes with it. Benefits are given because of what solitude consists of. And it's not just having an alone time, but experiencing the presence of God during the alone time. I mean, I think we all could use some alone time. Or maybe for some of you, you're thinking, no, I don't have, I, I want, I don't want alone time. I feel lonely. So there's a difference between solitude and loneliness. So we're not talking about loneliness. We're talking about a specific time with God. It's a solitude time that we're practicing. And when we step into the presence of God, we need to do that to take initiative and do that on purpose because life has so many demands coming at us. It is constant, especially now that we have these guys. It's constant. So practicing solitude is something that is necessary for the believer in order for us as believers to continue our relationship with God and to develop our relationship with him, to get stronger and stronger in this relationship because that's what it is. It's a relationship. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it speaks of Jesus that this is, this is the obser observation that, that the disciples had. And Mark observes this. He says, now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. So Jesus went out to a solitary place, and it's there that he prayed, which means that Jesus himself had to take that alone time to be with the Father because of all of life's demands. And if Jesus himself took time out to have a solitary time with God, how much should we? This is the Son of God purposefully setting aside that time, making time to spend it with the Father. And there's a reason for it. Now, the question is, did Jesus have to do that? Did he need to do that? Well, it can almost seem like, no, he didn't because he's the son of God. But that's why he did it, because he was the son of God. It's the relationship. It wasn't a struggle for him. It wasn't like he was saying, oh, man, I got to spend time with the father. No, he specifically made sure he was loving people, but he also made sure his relationship with God was first and foremost. That's why he went to that place and prayed. It was in solitude that he prayed. 
And I think sometimes we can mix up that word solitary or solitude with isolation. But that word solitary means to be desolate or uninhabited or used of places. It's a desert, a wilderness. It's, a, it's, a, uh, it's like a lonely region. So he, he specifically chose a place that he would not have any distractions. He went to a deserted place. It's deprived of aid and protection of others, especially of friends or acquaintances. So he even went to solitary places where he wouldn't have anyone around because he needed that time to be with the Father. And I see a difference with people who have solitary times than people who don't. And it almost seems like those who have solitary times, they're able to like, persevere through the worst, most difficult times in life. They're able to stand strong and steadfast through the worst storms in life versus those who don't choose that solitary moment with God or, or, or practice solitude, that at every single turn and everything that happens, it rattles them. Someone cuts you off, you get rattled. Someone says something to you, you get rattled. Someone does something, you get rattled. Like you, you blow up just on small little things. And it's like God is saying, you need time with me. You know how we say to children, time out? And we put them in the corner or time out, sit down, face the wall, whatever. Like, we need time out to sit with God and just to be with him because we're biting each other's heads off in our day and age today. And as believers, we are the ones who is setting the example of what this relationship with God is supposed to be like. So if anyone, we should be the ones who are practicing solitude. And what separates those who practice solitude and those who don't practice solitude is that these ones, the ones who practice solitude, they're not the ones who are dying in the midst of a storm, nor are they only thriving when only good times are happening. They thrive through both. Versus those who don't take time out with God, they only seem like they're in a good mood when things are going well. When nothing shakes, when nothing is shaken, the, everyone is in line, uh, finances are good, job is good, children are good, spouse is good, like everyone is on good behavior. Okay, everybody good? Good. Okay, nobody move. Because if somebody messes up, then, then I'm going to blow up. And, and someone like that is a person who doesn't practice solitude. And we don't want to be those people. We want to be people who practice solitude so that when people see us, even in the midst of storms, they still see Jesus. We don't want to be people who are like, the best word I can think of is, please don't, you know, I'm trying to think of a word, so if you get offended by this, then go to the Lord, and I will too, and I'll think of a better word. But we're like bipolar Christians. Like, you don't know which Christian you're going to get today. And when we're like that, other people, they don't know how to deal with us. And so because we're like that, we're one day like this and then the other day like this, there's no, there's no reflection of Jesus. It's only moment by moment that we shine the love of Jesus. But that's, that's not letting your light shine. That's more like, like, like a blinker that goes on and off, on and off. But when we practice solitude, it's in those solitary moments with God that he does something inside of us that no one else can do, nor can we. It's just a spiritual thing that happens with the Father. And that's what we want to learn. How do we practice that? I want to give you two definitions. One is solitude, and one is isolation. Solitude is the state of being or living alone, seclusion, or to enjoy one's solitude. 
remoteness from habitations, as of a place, absence from human activity, the solitude of the mountains, or unfrequented place, a solitude in the mountains. So it's a place, it's, it's being somewhere. You're in the presence of, you're, you're, you're in solitude. Isolation is an act or instance of isolating, the state of being isolated, the complete separation from others of a person suffering from contagious or infectious disease or quarantine, the separation of a nation from other nations by isolationism, or a psychoanalysis, a process whereby an idea or memory is divested of its emotional component. So there's an isolated thing. So you can, you can look at it this way, that when you're in solitude, you're being in solitude. When you're in isolation, you're doing something. You're, 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 you're recovering from hurt or injury, or in this case, when they use the word quarantine, it's like you need to be isolated because you're dangerous to everyone else. Or you're susceptible to other diseases, so you need to be quarantined too. You need, you need to be isolated lest you take on some sickness and then you become worse. So, so solitude and isolation are two different things. In the NBA, which right now, I know for you Golden State fans, you guys are like loving it because you're bringing out the brooms that, you know, already happened with Portland Trailblazers. But with NBA basketball, they have plays called isolation plays. Isolation plays are for really, really good players. The player that can do great things. So what they'll do is they'll have the player that is very, very good, and it's an iso play, isolation. And basically what it is is give that person the ball and everybody else get out of the way. That's basically what it is. When it comes to solitude, it's different than isolation. Isolation is about what I can do. Solitude is what God can do. So when we isolate ourselves, it comes to self. We'll hear, we'll hear it. We, we might even say it ourselves. We might say, I just need my time. Just give me my time. And that says there's something inside that needs to be worked on. And it's not a bad thing to start there because it's a trigger. It's an indication that, wait a minute, I need solitude time, not just my time. Because even though you may have your time, if you don't have solitude time, you know how often you're going to have to have my time? Yeah, all the time. Because of the demands of the world and family and frustration, children and whatever else. So solitude time with God is much more important and much more valuable than my time or isolation. Solitude has a spiritual connection to God. It's being versus doing. It's being a child of God, not doing things so God accepts us. It's being in his presence. And every single one of us can learn how to practice solitude and draw closer by God by understanding these three things. Here's the first one. That solitude is making time to be alone with God. Notice it's making time. We, gotta, like, we have to make time to be alone with God. Now, I, I just thought, okay, how, do, how does that work? Because I'm like you. We don't have time. Like, there's so many things to do. Even today, just preparing for, this, for tonight, this weekend, and other things that we're preparing for. Father's Day is coming up for us as a church. Sunday morning is coming up. Other things that we're doing. Summer camps, meetings that we have. So we're preparing. So where am I going to find time for solitude time with God? So one thing I did, I just did this 
right before I came up. I checked my screen time. They came up with this thing on our phones, which I have a, an Apple phone, an iPhone. So I'm not sure if, if you have an Android, if you can check that, your screen time. What that means is it'll show you how often you spend time in different apps. So here are my top three apps that I, my screen time showed me. I spend, today, I spent 32 minutes texting. 32 minutes texting. 11 minutes emails. And 10 minutes on Instagram. I'm like, Instagram? I don't even remember going on Instagram. But it goes by that fast. Now, this probably was a good day for Instagram, 10 minutes. It seems like, oh, wow, Pastor, you're so good. Yeah, on social media, you didn't even use it. I don't know whose voice that was, but... <laughs> But I'm sure there are other days where my social media will skyrocket, my email will skyrocket, or, or even, even YouTube. Like, those things will fluctuate from day to day. But it's good for us to monitor those things. It's good for us to know where is our time going. So I want to encourage you, if you don't have time to spend with God, first thing, just check your screen time. That's all you got to do is just check your screen time. Just see where you can carve out. I mean, look at this. I can carve out 21 minutes of today to spend with God. 21 minutes. Which I actually spent, I walked outside and I have this rock in the back of my yard because we buried some of our dogs back there. And so I have this big rock where I sit on. It's my solitude rock, rock of solitude. That's what I call it. And I sit there and it kind of overlooks our property. And it's just a, a nice time to spend outside. I'll take my dogs out outside, they'll sit down, and I'll just spend time in the presence of God. Now, it may sound like, wow, pastor, that's so holy. Do you know how hard that is? It's still difficult. It's hard to put everything on the side and take out time to sit. That's why we have to make time. It's something that we must put as priority. But I, I can tell you this, as much as a struggle as it will be because there are so many demands, after you spend that time with God, everything changes. It's, it's just something that he does. It's spending time in his presence. See, practicing solitude is not about a vacation or recreation or, or, or relaxation, which these things may begin it. You may go on vacation and then in your vacation time, take a chunk of time out of there for solitude time with God. But solitude is, uh, practicing solitude is a specific time with God. It's not saying, I just, oh, I just need a break. I need, to, I need to get away and just go golfing, tennis, play basketball. Or I just need to get away. It's not an activity. It's really being in the presence of God. It's more than just something that we, we do. It's, it's who we're becoming in God. And, and practicing solitude is for the purpose of being alone with the Lord rather than just time. It's being with the Lord in our quest for quietness with him. And it's spending that alone time with him to be with God. And it can happen anytime. We just have to make time to be alone with God. And practicing solitude, of course, we have to learn it, but it's not a new fad. It's not something that is just made up for our day and age today. It's something that Jesus did. It was his idea. In Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 32, it says, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. 
And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Have you ever been working so hard that you don't even have time to eat? That's what was happening. Jesus specifically said to them, hey guys, let's go to another place because you don't even have time, you don't even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves, by themselves. See, Jesus is practicing this, is, he's practicing this because he knows that we as human beings, we can continue to go and go and go and go until we just drop dead. And so he said, you have to do this on purpose. Jesus brought this into the life of a believer, but it's, it's, it wasn't even new to Jesus. He just specifically did this with, with his disciples because being alone with God did something. And it did something more than ministry could do, busyness could do, money could do. It was our alone time with God. Paul the apostle, even he demanded that alone time. And he found himself in similar situations that ministry is so busy and going on all of his missionary journeys, he himself had to stop and rest. And it's found in Acts chapter 20, verse 13, that Paul has to make a decision because he's, he's so surrounded by so many people, and he's always in danger, Paul the Apostle. That's why you have much of the New Testament, because while he was in prison, he wrote these letters to the different churches. But here is Paul. They're going to set sail to another place, and in Acts chapter 20, verse 13, it says, Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, there intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. So they were going to set sail, go west, and then go uh, south, and then east. They were going to come around an island or an, an out, uh, inlet or an outlet. or They had to go around. So as they're going around, Paul said, you know, I'll walk by foot. 25 miles he was going to walk. 25 miles. Now, Paul is risking walking 25 miles, being endangered, then being on a ship surrounded by people, and probably confined to, like, tight quarters. Paul said, nah, I'm good. I'll walk. And they're like, you're going to walk? Yeah, I'm going to walk. Now, I wonder if Paul, as busy as he was and as, as dangerous as it was, made that decision because he needed time to be with the Lord. Just think about it. When you're walking and you know Jesus, you're going to talk to him. Especially if you're walking 25 miles if you're not talking to Jesus, you're going to cry out to him at about mile 19. So Paul did that on purpose. He said, no, I'm going to take time. I'm going to walk, and I'm going to be in the presence of God. Paul made, he made time to be with the Lord. So we, too, can make time to spend with God. Here's the second thing we can learn, that solitude is being in the presence of God. It's, it's being with him. That's the heart behind this solitude time. It's not, it's not meditation in the sense of I'm just going to open up my mind to any spirit that comes my way or, or some new age thing that I am going to be one with the universe. It's not a, 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 a certain thing that we do for the sake of just spiritual awakening or, or to feel good about ourselves or to be one with nature. No, it is specifically being in the presence of God. That's the mindset, that's the heart. It's saying, I want to be in the presence of the Lord. But isn't God everywhere? Absolutely, but we need to step into his presence. 
Even though God is everywhere, it doesn't mean we're in his presence in the sense of awareness. Because even with our children, we can be home with our children, but if we're not present with them, they don't even have that time with us. We can be busy watching TV, we can be on our phones, we can play games, and our children want our attention. If we don't give it to them, we're in close proximity. But being in the presence of God is not about close proximity. It's about a relational connection. That's the difference with being in the presence of God. Because even in church, how often we can even be in a setting like this, but we're not gaining nothing from God. We can attend and be here, but our minds are somewhere else. We can be in a setting where worship is happening, but our mind is somewhere else. Like We have to take initiative to be in the presence of God. And it's not seeking some far distance thing. It's saying, I want to be one with Christ. It is seeking Jesus, not some mystical thing far away. It's being one with him. You know who also practiced that? A man by the name of Moses. If you read in the Old Testament, Moses went up to Mount Sinai, spent 40 days and 40 nights with God. And then he came back with what? Yeah, the laws of God. Like he spent time with God and came back with the Ten Commandments, which our nation has built upon. That's how government can be run. It's by God's Ten Commandments. Imagine if we all followed just God's Ten Commandments. The world would be a different place. But we have yet to even practice solitude less Ten Commandments. God says, spend time with me. Moses did that. Elijah did that. When Elijah was running away from a woman by the name of Jezebel, he was like spiritually burnt out. He ran from her. He was hiding. But it was in that running that he, he took that time and had a solitude moment with God, changed his entire perspective, and regained his purpose. God renewed him. Not only was Elijah like that, but John who was the disciple of Jesus, which we just read about in the book of Revelation, that John spent time with Jesus, and John, even though Jesus had already died and then rose from the grave and then ascended into heaven, while in prison, John was able to have solitude time with God, which is where, once again, Jesus revealed himself, and now we have the book of Revelation. King David, he's my guy in the Bible. That's the guy I relate to, King David. He was known as a man after God's own heart, which I, I want to develop even more. But what King David did is he's running from Saul, who was the king before him, Israel's first king. He's running from Saul because Saul wants to kill him. Well, David flees to a place called En Gedi. And in Israel, Heidi and I were able to visit uh, this place called En Gedi. And here are some pictures from it. I wanted to show this. Sorry about this projector. We're, it's coming in. It's coming in. So if you can just imagine, maybe you can dim the lights but there's a place uh, called En Gedi. And there's, I mean, this is in the middle of a desert. And you have a stream, a freshwater stream flowing in the middle of the desert. And this is where David went to. So you have dry rocks there. You have this water spring that's coming. And David was here. And while he's here, and there's a stream, he's able to reflect and spend time with the Lord in solitude. And when you're there, you can see that waterfall kind of coming down. Uh, 
if you stare at that waterfall long enough and you look at another place, like you can, you can still see uh, things moving. Like there's, a, there's an illusion that takes place. But David is there. He's in complete solitude, spending that time with God while he's running. So David had all the pressures on him. He's running for his life. But yet he spends time with God and he writes this psalm in Psalm 57, verses 1 through 7. He writes this. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. I am surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows and whose tongues cut like swords. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. My enemies have set a trap for me. I am weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path but they themselves have fallen into it. My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. And what David is saying is, I'm like at the worst place in my life. I'm running from from people. They're out to kill me. Yet, because of you, God, my heart is confident. That's why I can sing praises to your name. It's not because of my situation or my circumstances that I can sing praises to your name. It's because of who you are. David is once, uh, once again able to renew his heart with God, to remind himself of the greatness of God only in solitude. Solitude does what reading books cannot do. Solitude does what even friends cannot do. As great as their hearts are and advice are, Solitude does what only solitude can do with God. It's a specific thing that God is after. See, what we tend to do is we just want to escape reality. We just say, I just want to escape this. Book me a flight to Vegas. I just want to go Vegas. I just want to go to Disneyland. Just get me to like the farthest place that I can go from Hawaii. Just get me, get me somewhere because I, I, can't, I can't take this anymore. So we try to escape reality when in fact, solitude says, no, 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 no. This is reality. You persevere through it. Because when you escape from reality and you come back, oh, it's still reality. (laughs) Now I'm in debt. Worse. So escaping reality, you can't escape reality because it's reality. This is where we are. Sometimes we escape to a drug or some type of addiction, pornography, or even alcoholism. Or we fall into alcoholism because we're trying to escape from reality. And God says, "You're, you're escaping to the wrong things. You're Escape to solitude with me because that's what's missing. It's the solitude time with, it, with me that we're able to embrace the reality that we're in and endure it because of our solitude time with God. We enter into reality with his spirit because it's only through his spirit that we're able to do all things. We're able to become who the person he's making us to be or the person he's making us to be. Let's not forget solitude in being with God, that it makes all the difference in our walk with him. And if not for solitude time with God, we're going to try to escape through ungodly means. And God says, I, 
I, I, can, I can accomplish so much greater things in you than if you spend solitude time with me than everything else that you're turning to because only my spirit can do what my spirit can do. So here's the last thing. Solitude is to be with God with no other agenda. It's to be with God with no other agenda. In other words, we're not saying, God, I want to spend time with you and be in solitude with you so that you can fix my husband. God, I'm going to spend time with you so that you can fix my wife. God, I'm going to take out seven minutes from my schedule today and I need my car. God, I'm going to spend time with you. I need a job, so I'm going to spend time with you in solitude. That's not solitude. Wanting something from God and solitude are two different things. Solitude is just being with God with no other agenda. It's saying to God, I just want to be with you. I want, I want to be with you. Let him take care of everything else because he will. He's going to give us the wisdom. He's going to, sometimes he'll even solve problems. But if we're coming to him saying, God, I'm going to spend time with you so you solve this problem, now we're treating him like, like the genie in the lamp. Oh, now I'm thinking about this movie coming out in a couple days. But with God, he's not just some genie that we go to and say, hey, can I have these three things, God? That way, because now I, if I spend time with you, now you can do these things for me. I mean, how would that make you feel as a parent? That your children say, okay, if I spend time with you, can you buy me these things? Our heart should be, God, I just want to spend time with you. No other agenda. He may give you the wisdom. He may solve problems. He may fill your spirit. He may even encourage you or strengthen you or, or, or give you peace and comfort, which is fine, but the goal is to be with him. That's the goal, is just to be with him. That's why Psalm 27, verse 14 tells us to wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. It's like the psalmist had to say again, just wait on the Lord. Yeah, I got it, I got it, but wait on the Lord. You know like when your wife tells you to, I'm assuming that only us as husbands deal with this. Heidi was okay, can you buy bread? Can you get uh, mayonnaise? Can you buy a dozen? Yeah, I got it, okay. Don't forget the bread. No, no, I got it. And eggs, and what else? And mayonnaise, I got it, okay. And I come back home and I forget the bread because I wasn't listening and waiting upon what she was trying to say. That's what the psalmist is saying. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, wait. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And when we wait on the Lord, we learn more about who he is and who we are in him than anything else in the world. And sometimes we try to learn more about people and places and, and we have information at our fingertips and we try to learn things and God is saying, how, how about my relationship with you? Let's, let's learn about that because that is the most important thing that you will ever have in your life. It's this relationship because you are that important to God. That's why he came. That's why he sent Jesus. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 25 verse, uh, Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 through 34, Jesus said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you will have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add one single moment to your life? 
And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. These are words from Jesus himself telling us how we can have not just moments with God or seeking first the kingdom, but not to worry about God providing, that he will. And Jesus is not just being metaphorical. He's not just saying these things as a, as a metaphor to say, look at the birds and, and these things. He's literally saying, go outside. Like, go outside. There's something happens when we're in God's creation versus man-made things. When we're in God's creation, you can listen to the birds. If you live near the beach, we're surrounded, we're surrounded by, an, by water. We're an island. So we have the, the privilege of having ocean around us. We have waterfalls, streams of water. We have outdoors. People pay thousands of dollars to visit here, and we live here, not for free, but we live here. God says, go outside, listen to my creation. Listen to the birds that are singing. There was one day I was listening to this weird bird, like this new sound was like, and I was like, what kind of bird is that? And I hear it over and over. I can't even imitate it. And I was like, wow, it sounds pretty interesting. And I hear it like all day long. And I go outside to look for it. I'm like, where is it? I hear it. I'm like, what kind of Filipino bird? What is, what is that? And so I'm looking for what kind of bird is that? It is the two branches rubbing each other. <laughs> when the wind blows. <laughs> so, but at least I went outside. When you're outside, you, 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 you'll be amazed at what is outside. But the birds are chirping. You, you hear the wind blowing. The sun is out. Even when it rains, like just the sound of rain, like one drip, irritating. Millions of drips, soothing. Only God can do that. He says, go outside. Look at my creation. Be in my creation because I made that for you to enjoy that. Go out for a walk and enjoy outdoors. Pray. Spend that solitude time with God. Walk with God. Just go outdoors and walk with him. If you have a hard time walking, sit outdoors and just be with God. Be with him. Some people can afford going to far places and they spend solitude time with God. If you're not able to, you have your right outside. Some of you love to journal in the presence of God. You'll sit with him and he'll speak and you'll write things down. Like take that time to spend with him, be with him, and just fall in love with God. You can pray, you can journal, you can examine your heart. You can even, you can even just think upon the great things of God. But the main thing is to be with God. The main purpose is to be with God. That's why, that's why it's called practicing solitude. It takes practice to do this. 
I want to end with a, uh, these three scriptures, and then we're going to uh, take some time to be in solitude. And I'm, I'm going to invite uh, Grace into the keyboard. Psalm 119, uh, excuse me, Psalm 19, verses 9 through 11, says that the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And Psalm 27, verse 8 says, When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. In other words, King David was coming to God and he said, I, I want to have this alone time with you. And, and God spoke to him and said, Then seek my face. And so what David did is hear the Lord and did what the Lord said. Seek my face, I hear you, God. Therefore, I am going to seek your face. That's what solitude looks like, that you're, you're purposefully seeking out the Lord. And we're going to take some time to do that. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 21, that it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved. I don't know where we all are in our walk with God, what that looks like, what kind of day you had or, or season you're in, but God does. And so we're just going to practice solitude for just a couple minutes. And in doing so, just enjoy the presence of the Lord. And I tell you what will happen. Some of you will fall asleep. Some of you, your mind will drift to other things. Some of you will, will probably be remember, trying to remember something like, okay, I got to remember that after, after, after. So you're going to struggle with some things. But when you find yourself struggling with something and your, your mind is drifting, come back to, Lord, I want to practice solitude. I want to be with you. I'm going to make this time for you. I want to be with you. I want to be in your presence. I have no other agenda. I just want to be with you. And we're going to do that. You can bow your heads if you want to. You can sit. You can do whatever you need to. I'm going to ask them to dim the lights a little bit just to give you more of a, an, an environment for you to be in solitude. And then I'll come back up. We'll close with our, a song together, and then we'll be dismissed. But just take a couple minutes in solitude with God.
God, tonight our heart and our time with you, although only minutes, is still precious to you. We can start there and we can build from today. And maybe we do, maybe for some, they are already spending time with you. And maybe for others, it's a, a practice that we're going to begin. And even though it may have been a five minutes or so tonight, it's not about how much time we spend with you. It's what happens in the time we spend with you. So may we be faithful in the little so that we can be faithful in much. And we can build from here, Lord. And as believers, we can miss the reason why we're here on this earth and our purpose, which is to be in this relationship with you. You called us into a relationship with you, and that's the greatest joy. And so may we never take for granted your spirit, your presence, who you are. And so we want to we wanna practice solitude because of your love for us. We can do this. Thank you that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no matter what comes our way, it's not going to take us down. It's because of our solitude with you.